absolutely sure there is no God. We talk about the magic of the birth canal. And then we ask this question, who, just who, is actually in charge of hell? Welcome to this week's edition of The Deep End. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome into The Deep End Season 2, Episode 3. And I am your host, as always. My name is Tim Hatch, and I am joined in the studio with special guests. Again, back today with me, Josh Pereira, Chris McEwen. Hello, guys. Hello. How are we doing? How are we doing over there? Fantastic. Yeah, doing yes. great. Facebook Live. Hello, Facebook Live. Let us know in the comments where you're watching from. We're also on YouTube Live. Let us know in the comments where you're watching from. We would love to talk to all of you, and we love engagement on this program. So welcome to everybody who took time out of their Wednesday. We know that for many of you, this is your favorite part of the week. <laughs> it is mine. The Deep End Podcast, our Deep End Show, whatever we're going to call it. Uh, speaking of the Deep End Podcast or show, whatever we're going to call it, we have a lot of advancements coming up with the Deep End. I'm excited about this, some changes and some things that we're adding to the Deep End name. So Josh Pereira, you've been working hard on this with me and uh, we've been going through this stuff, yeah. uh, talking about it. Let's let, let the listeners, watchers know what's up with the Deep End. Where are we going? So we got some cool stuff happening. First, biggest announcement I would say is the Deep End TV. It's an official website. We got uh, swag on there. We're going to be starting a, a news feed later on. Uh, but you can actually go there now. You can already start buying some swag, repping your favorite uh, Wednesday afternoon talk show. Swag. Check that out. I like love that it. Swag. Uh, and like, then yes, we also. Like cup, which I don't have my cup today. I don't know where it is. It's I might yeah. have stolen it. No. All right. You, might you can it. buy this beautiful <laughs> Himalayan deep end tumbler for $10. $10 yes. deep end tumbler. Really? So, I got mine for free. And inside are the anointed waters of Waters, waters Church. Church. <laughs> <laughs> $10 more for holy water. In the All right, anyway, and yeah. more things are going to come. You know, more things, of course. Yeah, having yeah. fun with it. Of course. It's a conversation starter, though. If you're drinking out of the deep end tumbler and you have somebody with you, oh, yeah. this I want is a deep end cap. We're, we're, we're working on a deep end beard oil right now. Beard oil. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. good. <laughs> okay, probably not going to go there, but. <laughs> uh, also, we're actually going to be migrating over to uh, our own separate Facebook Instagram and YouTube channel. So we encourage all of you watchers out there, go to uh, facebook.com slash the deep end TV. Uh, like us there. We're going to start um, streaming and broadcasting every week from that channel. And then on YouTube, we actually are uh, still on the Waters Church page. Reason being that we need uh, a certain amount of subscribers in order to have a custom URL. So go to YouTube, go to uh, Waters Church YouTube, go to the channel section, click on the deep end, subscribe. And this way, as soon as we get uh, more subscribers on that channel, yeah. we can get a custom URL. Help us out there. Yeah, yeah come tell on. Your friends. Tell your friends. Subscribe your kids when they're not looking. Yep, there you go. Dogs. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter. You can uh, make, actually, you should make an account. Deprive your teenagers of the Wi-Fi password until they subscribe. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Do whatever is right. necessary. It's right. good for you. So we're so glad to have you with us, though. This is a podcast weekly uh, that talks about the news. It talks about the church. It talks about how to talk about the news as the church and... We talk about the Bible, and the Bible book that we're going through in season two of The Deep End is the book of Revelation, such yeah. an amazing book, and we're going to get to that later on in the program, but today, first, we get to Deep End News. So, uh, we've got some cool news out of London. Um, Chris, why don't you share that with us? Yeah, so Stephen Hawkins actually just finished his latest book. It's entitled, There Is No God, according to the London version of CNN. There is no God. That's the conclusion. The celebrated physicist Stephen Hawkins, whose final book was published last Tuesday. The book, which was completed by his family after his death, presents answers to the questions that Hawkins said he re received most during his time on Earth. Other bombshells the British scientist left his readers with include the belief that alien life is out there, artificial intelligence could outsmart humans, and time travel can't be ruled out. Hawkins, considered one of the most brilliant scientists of his generation, died in March at the age of 76. So he's dead. Yes. And now he's certain there's no God. Yes. He found out <laughs> and he's telling us. Gosh, I hope he's right for his sake. <laughs> there's a lot of science fiction in there. It looks like he was a big sci-fi... Um, I don't hope he's right. I yeah, no, rephrase. I know what you mean. <laughs> but 
<laughs> you know, talk about going to the grave with the wrong ideas. It's sad. It really I mean, is. honestly, yeah. but this is yeah. the nature of humanity, and this is why the church matters, and this is why Christian, the gospel matters, so that yeah. we can reach people. You know, he, Stephen Hawking, his life was amazing. Uh, it was part. It was uh, depicted in that movie a couple yeah. of years ago, the, the Theory of Everything. Um, you saw the movie? I did. And, uh, you know, he just, he had... Uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, mm-hmm. and it just debilitated him from a very young age, but he lasted like 40 years after getting the disease. Longer 50, than he should have, yeah. years. Wow. So, you know, you can understand why he probably had an angst against God because that, that, that disease is debilitating. Sure. And, uh, sure. you know, if you ever saw pictures of him or saw him on video, he had to speak through a uh, Microsoft-voiced computer right. machine kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and then in the movie itself, it actually talks about, and it kind of presents that that. Um, conflict that he and his wife had. She, a big believer. Right. He, a non-believer, an atheist. But you think about, like, this is where you're going to go with your last book, There Is No God. It's like, shake the fist. Yeah, really. (laughs) My last, my last ditch effort to deny the existence of God. It's, it's the human condition. And, Mm. I thought about the, um, the idea too, that he believes, like you said in the article there, artificial life. Yeah. Possible. Terminator. Time travel. Possible. Terminator. <laughs> I think he watched a lot of Terminator. He might all be too into to James Cameron. I, I think, think that's so. the problem here. <laughs> he needs to be introduced into another JC. All right. Amen. Oh, look at that. I said that on the cuff. cuff. Yes, right, right on the cuff. Um, but, you know, you think about this. Like, it's so amazing how some of these brilliant minds who say that belief in God is for the stupid. Right. And then they believe in alien life and time travel. With <laughs> with no proof or explanation. Yeah. <laughs> with, with <laughs> with no proof. Um, uh, his final chapter, I thought I, I read the article too, and it said uh, he says, "Remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet." Um, and we're going to get to why that mm. line actually matters today mm, for the Beat Deep End podcast. But yep. uh, sad to see people like that uh, so angry, so uh, hope hopeful that there is no God because they lived as if there was no God or they were angry with him. And you don't want to live like that. It's, it's just sad. Uh, anyway, that's the news. And so we've got a new section also, a new segment that we're introducing today. Like I said, but the deep end is going to have a bunch of segments that make it more entertaining, more engaging. And so today we have a new segment. This is called Pastor Recommends. I love, I love the ding. (laughs) All right, the thumbs up. Pastor recommends. So uh, I follow this page on YouTube. I want you to follow it too. It's called Choice Forty Two or Choice Four Two. You can go to their website too, Choice Four Two dot com. We actually lifted one of their videos, and we got uh, their website. (laughs) We got their website down in the bottom right hand corner for you to check them out. They are a Canadian Mm. organization fighting for the pro life cause. And I think about this, and this is one of the things about the younger generation that I don't understand. They are so into social justice, and I'm not talking about Christians necessarily, I'm talking about the, you know, the, sure. the general population. So into social justice, making sure that people have human rights, human right. rights, human rights, human rights. Okay, well, that's great, but what about the human rights of those not yet born? Yeah. Uh, I'm all for human rights. Make sure that we fight for everybody's right to what humans should have, but... We are missed. There's a big gap. There's a big hole in the human rights argument, and that's for the unborn. And so this this organization, they are doing a really cool thing. They are doing some young and kind of intriguing, kind of on-the-nose video productions about the pro-life cause and kind of sending Good. pro-life messages through the whole human rights you know, uh, facade. And, yeah. and so I have this video. I want you to see. This is so great. This is so clever. Uh, let's put this up on the screen. Uh, check this video out. Human rights. You may think you've always had yours, but you would be wrong. So how did you get your human rights? From the magical birth canal, of course. Disclaimer, birth canal is not the size of an actual birth canal. Just saying. Before the baby or fetus is born, it is not a human being, clearly. But as it passes through the birth canal, something amazing happens that transforms it into a person with human rights. Observe, not a person. Not a person, not a person, coming out the other end, a person! Human rights! Congratulations, you now have value. Can't say the same for this one. (laughs) So what exactly happens in the birth canal that causes this magical transformation? No one knows. But popular scientific theories include fairies, aliens, (laughs) or of course, a mini Big Bang. I think it's fairies. 
No human rights. Human rights. No human rights. Human rights. Makes sense. <laughs> Thanks, Magical Birth Canal. Science. Logic. Magic. Human rights. <laughs> what if it's a C-section? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I really love that video. That's brilliant. It's such a brilliant presentation of the argument. Like, yeah, we're all for human rights. But, well, until you're born. (laughs) I mean, as soon as you're born. Um, I I was thinking about this, too, and it's like the the, the conflict, too, of caring for all humans. All humans matter. But did you know that 85% of potential Down syndrome children in America are aborted? Wow. Upon the diagnosis. I did not know that. No. And, and that's the problem. This is where our country gets it wrong. This is where our culture gets it wrong about human rights. You want to talk about the value of every individual, the value of every person, how everybody matters. But then, oh, wait a second, you really don't matter because you might have this disease that might make us have to work hard to help you live. Sure. It's just, uh, you know, the, the, the exp- it exposes the lies of our, of our culture. And we, we need to speak out about that. Thank God for these people, even though they're in Canada. Still good. Yeah. But we do need to pray for Canada. Yeah, we do. I met some Christian. Um, I met a Christian couple this weekend in, uh, who are from Canada. Uh, some sad things are happening concerning Christian rights oh, yeah. uh, in Canada. Some very bad things. Uh, and, and we need to pray for our brothers because I don't know what's in the water up there. Maybe it's just too cold. Everybody's depressed. I don't know. <laughs> but it's pretty bad. Okay. All right, another segment that we're going to go into, Ask Anything. And we are encouraging you every week to submit your questions <laughs> of faith, anything regarding faith, life, whatever. We want your questions. You can submit them anonymously, <clears throat> anonymously through the uh, phone number. You can text them to us, 508-316-9333. We have a question from last week, and so today we're going to take that on because also this question has something to do with where we're going in the book yeah. of Revelation today. So, Josh, what's the question? question is, my husband is having a lot of anxiety of going to hell. How can I help him live his life freely and morally but not go strict and become Mormon or uh, Latter-day Saint because he thinks the Bible says a lot, such as secular music, tattoos, and not keeping the Sabbath, etc., will make him go to hell. Mm. All right. It's an interesting question, and uh, it's a question that is fraught with uh, biblical illiteracy, unfortunately. And this is the yeah. problem, and this is why the deep end matters. This is why we do what we do. And this is why you should belong to a church that preaches from the scriptures. Yeah. Because the Bible does not say anything about secular music. <laughs> not a word. Yeah. Um, and it says very little about tattoos as one verse, and it's not the tattoos that we have today. It's a different kind of marking from the ancient pagan cultures, and it has nothing to do literally with what we do today with right. ink in like our branding, skin. right? Yeah, it was like, it was cutting, cutting and cutting. branding and fire, and I'm sure they used heat and all kinds of things, because they did right. not have those little electric pens no, that we have, have today, that. <laughs> <laughs> which I found out recently was invented by Thomas Edison. Really? What he invented he everything. Invent? Seriously. I mean, unbelievable. <clears throat> All right. So, and tattoos. Huh? Yeah. So, you know, secular music, tattoos. Uh, and there is no scripture that says if you listen to secular music and you get a tattoo, you shall be cast into the eternal lake of fire. No. There's no burst of scripture about that. So here's, here's good news. No one goes to hell because of what they do. <laughs> like, we got to remember this. Yeah. We don't go to hell because of what we do. We go to hell because of what we believe. Amen. And the Bible is clear about this. The scriptures are clear about this. It is about believing. It is about putting your trust and your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins that through his work on the cross for you, that by believing in his work on the cross for you, by dying for your sins and rising for your justification, big theological word, that you are accepted into the uh, gates of heaven by grace, by the grace of God. That's the gospel. The gospel is not, don't do these things. The gospel is believe. Believe that Jesus did this for you. Right. And the same gospel that saves a preacher like me can save a sinner like you with your tats and your secular music and your <laughs> pink concert attendance and whatever you do. Pink. Yeah. Pink. pink. Uh, did She's I date myself around? there, Josh? A little bit. A little bit. I did. Okay. It's okay. Uh, Justin Bieber? Uh, getting closer? No. Well, closer, closer. Uh, Taylor Swift? Uh, Even her? Yeah. Man, that stuff moves fast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no clue what's going on with secular music. I'm sorry. I'm definitely going post, to have uh, Post Malone. <laughs> Post Malone. Post Malone. Post Malone. There we go. There yes, go. I've, I've heard that name somewhere. Fantastic. <laughs> um, you don't go to hell because of these things. And so 
you ask about, you talk about anxiety too, and that's the anxiety that he has is probably because he's not living in a relationship with Jesus. And you, if you're not living in a relationship with Jesus, I, you have my permission to be anxious <laughs> because Jesus comes to be the peace of God that, tr- that transcends understanding. The, the scripture says that he himself is our peace. So he's not just the peace that, he doesn't just offer us peace. He is our peace. Yeah, he comes yeah. into our lives. Uh, the book of Colossians says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Uh, and when a believer, when a person becomes a believer, that's what happens. Christ takes up residence in their heart. He has the throne of their lives. He is in charge now. He has saved them from the judgment of sin. He has saved them from the condemnation that is promised to those who do not believe. He has ransomed them from there, and he has brought peace uh, this is why he's called the Prince of Peace. Uh, there's a great saying out there, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace. And you just take the no. The first two no's are N-O, and the second two no's are K-N-O-W. Okay. So no Jesus, no peace, but K-N-O-W right. Jesus, K-N-O-W peace. That sounds like a great tattoo idea. Well, I go. think it's yeah. been done a thousand times. Yeah, there you go. Get that tattoo. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, my opinion on a tattoo, it's like, a, it's like you know, you don't put a bumper sticker on a Lamborghini. Do you have a tattoo? I do not. Oh. Are you a Lamborghini? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mark 16, 16, in case you wanted a passage, it says this. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mm-hmm. Right there. It lines it up. You either believe and you're saved or you don't believe you're condemned. So to your husband, I would say, bring him to church. Tell him about Jesus. Listen to what we're talking about. It is about receiving Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And through his shed blood, you are saved through believing in him. Uh, There's this great passage in John chapter 6 where Jesus feeds the thousands. And they come back the next day and they want more food. They want more more free food. And he's like, you guys missed it. That free food yesterday was a sign from heaven. It it multiplies the bread and the fish, right? Right. That was a sign from heaven to show you who I am. I am the one that if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will never be thirsty. You'll never be hungry again. Spiritual thirst, spiritual hunger. And the sign of the multiplied fish and loaves were to, sh- to build faith in those who followed him. And they said, we, no, we just want more fish. We just want more right. bread. And uh, he says, well, do the works of God. And they said, well, what are the works of God? We'll, we'll, do, we'll work for whatever you want us to work for. And he goes, here's the work. Ready? Believe. Believe in the Son. That's Believe perfect. in the one whom That's he has great. sent. That's John chapter 6. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, getting to heaven is not about your works, but getting to heaven is all about your belief, uh, your faith. Yeah. And so that would be my answer to that question. Hope you enjoyed the Ask Anything segment. That's good. Hmm. Send a question, please. We love questions and I love answering questions. And your questions help me with knowing where you're coming from. 508-316-9333 if you are listening to this on headphones or in your car. Okay, that brings us to the Bible. So we're going to get back into the book of Revelation. You have to wonder if that's going to get tiresome at some point. <laughs> we might have to change know. that up. Not yet. We were talking about so. doing, you know, not, not Are we yet. on week two? We're, we're yeah. We're, 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 <laughs> you're already tired of it, <laughs> huh? But we could do a wrap, like we had talked about that. We're sure. Yeah. Revelation I'll wrap, wrap up. We'll see what happens. I'm anyway. ready to go. So today we actually get to the end of Revelation chapter one. In week one, we got to verse three. In week two, we got to verse eight. And today we're getting all the way to the end of verse uh, chapter one. So nice. verses nine to 20. Um, if you got a Bible, open it up. If you don't, just listen. We'll talk about the scriptures. And uh, today we're going to talk about this. Jesus, King of the universe. Jesus, King of the universe. So John, we talked about him last week. He writes the book of Revelation. He, well, he receives the revelation. And then in the revelation itself, Jesus tells John, write this down. And what he writes becomes the book of Revelation. So he starts us off with verse nine. Let's start, us off, let's start today off with verse nine. Here's what John says. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. Now, just notice, too, that tribulation is already happening when John is writing. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like, In, yeah. you know, hits against that theory of, oh, the tribulation is the last seven years of That's human good. history. That's good. He says, I'm the partner. I'm your partner now in the tribulation and in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus Christ. What a great line, by the way. You are empowered through Jesus with endurance. I, I always love to make sure that Christians catch this kind of thing. Yeah, it's all over the scripture. You can find many, many passages that support this. Uh, Jesus preserves those who are his. Jesus keeps you strong. 
And, and if you feel weak as a Christian, it's because you haven't turned to him. You haven't put your faith in him. You haven't, you haven't spent time with him. And so you will feel weak the less that you're with Jesus, the less that you invest your time with your Savior and your Lord. He's not just your Savior. He's your sustainer. He's not just the one who saves you. He's the one who keeps you. But you've got to hold fast to him. You've got to abide in him. We talked about that last week. You've yeah. got to spend time with him. But anyway, he says there is endurance for you. And I want to just say that whoever's watching, whatever you're going through, whatever trial or tribulation you are presently facing personally, that Jesus Christ can be the endurance for you in that trial or trouble or tribulation. Amen, yeah. And there are many times in my life where Jesus was all I had, and I'm telling you, uh, God is my witness, Jesus is all I needed yeah. in those moments. Amen. You guys have all been yeah. there before, too. Definitely. Sure. And uh, so you're going to suffer, though. He says, I, I'm, I'm your partner in tribulation. And we don't think about suffering. We don't like to talk about suffering. Suffering is inevitable for those who belong to Jesus. There's a great passage in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Here's what Philippians 1:29 says. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe, in him, but also suffer for his sake. Philippians 129. Yeah. So love the first part of that verse, hate the second part. Of course. <laughs> you know, it's been granted to you. Oh, what's been granted? A gift, a great, great, for, for the sake of Christ. Yay, Christ. Yes, for the sake of Christ. Not just to believe, but to suffer. Oh, no, I like to believe. Uh, thank you for the, the belief, Lord, but I don't want the suffering. But the suffering comes. Yeah. And so many Christians don't know that. So it's great to be able to teach them that. I'm, it's I'm all over the Bible. Because people leave all the time, you know. The church. They the leave church the church. They leave faith. Things don't go perfectly. Yeah, they right. think, you know, they come to Christ, everything's going to go perfect. And we're told, no, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. And we're going to suffer. It's harder, actually. And we're going to suffer for the name yeah. and right. the sake of Christ. For a purpose and for, right. for his glory, which is great. It's yeah. actually beautiful. It's better than suffering count over our own us, problems. Count all joy. Yeah, count yeah. us joy. But you're going to suffer. You're going to go through tribulation. You're going to go through trials. And so this is why. We're talking about this right now because the book of Revelation is kind of the roadmap, the guidebook, not the roadmap, the guidebook for God's people in times of suffering because it was originally, we talked about this last week, it was originally written to Christians suffering severely under Roman persecution in about 70 to 80 AD. And so don't make the Bible all about you. We talked about that last week. The Bible's not written to you, it's written for you. It's written to first century Christians for all generations of Christians to come after, to learn from what they heard God say to them so that we can hear what God is saying to us in our day. Yeah. So then John says this, look, I was on the island called Patmos. Uh, the island of Patmos is still in existence today. It's off the coast of Greece. Uh, and he was on there because he says, on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So we talked about John suffered tremendously. He was uh, possibly, this is, you know, um, not confirmed in all historical documents, but Tertullian, one of the early church followers, said he was boiled in oil and survived. Yeah. And so because they couldn't kill him in oil, they, they put him on the island of Patmos. Anyway, he's on Patmos. This is a picture of uh, Patmos today. It's still there. You can go and visit it. Not bad um, island to be exiled on, yeah. is it? Well, maybe not today, but back then it was pretty bad. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, this is where uh, the Roman, um, the Roman uh, government would actually banish uh, people in exile okay. in the first century. It was, a, it was a prison. You know, you think about prison today. What's the worst form of punishment that prisons today can give you? Isolation. Solitary yeah. confinement, right? So this was like solitary confinement, only there was no three squares a day. Go find <laughs> you were, yourself. Yeah, you were on an island by yourself. Good luck. Wow. Uh, I also found out that the island of Patmos, this is interesting, was the place of banishment for political uh, rebels. Okay. So if you were a threat to the power of Rome, the state power of Rome, you were banished to Patmos. Wow. Guess what that tells us about John? John and his message were not just a spiritual message. Right. It was also a political problem. That's good, yeah. And we don't get this as Christians today. We, we forget this. The Christian message will always challenge the political messages of our day. Right. And it is meant to challenge it. Jesus' lordship is a threat to the authorities of the age. Mm. And the thing about the church is we march to the beat of a celestial drummer, if you will, of a divine drummer. And we do not bow the knee to America before we bow the knee to Christ. Right. He is our highest allegiance. And so this, and you think about this, they sent John 
to the island of Patmos. This guy was a fisherman. Right. <laughs> he was a fisherman, and he was a follower of this rabbi who was executed under Roman law. Uh, and he claims to see him, that he saw him alive for 40 days and, and whatnot. And he believed it so strongly that he wouldn't shut up about it. And because of that, <laughs> because of that, they mm. decide political problem. Uh, this is like, you know, Michael Avenatti, <laughs> political <laughs> problem for the president, Michael Avenatti with his porn star uh, client there. And now, so this is Jesus, though, you know, being a problem to the to the government of Rome in the first century. And it's a it's it's just a testament to how the Holy Spirit used these nobodies, these fishermen, these tax collectors, these publicans and sinners that followed Jesus and believed that he rose from the dead and saw him. And received the Holy Spirit. They were so powerful. They were such a threat to Rome that Rome says, the only thing we can do with you is banish you. Yeah. It's a great testament to the whole thing that we're talking about. Yeah. So this is what I'd like to say to you modern Christians today is the church and the gospel is always going to challenge the politics of our day. Right. So that's why we have the politics segment. You know, we don't have one today, but we'll have one on a regular basis because we've got to talk to politics. We're going to speak to the political issues of our day because they matter, and they matter for people of faith. The problem with the American church right now is this. The American church has this horribly bad habit of picking one side over against the other. Right. Because America is divided. America is either right wing, left wing, and there's so much banter, there's so much arguing, there's so much talk, and they're talking across, uh, past each other in many respects. But what happens in the church is we pick a side. Mm -hmm. We aren't called to pick a side. We are on God's side, and God's side is over all sides. I mean, and, and the thing about America is we got we got left wing Christianity, we got right wing Christianity. Sure. And so we got left wing churches, and these are the churches that Democratic presidential candidates go and speak to. And you watch every four years, the cycle happens, and Democratic candidate goes to the churches over here, the church over there, and then the right wing, the Republican candidate goes to the right wing churches over here and over there. And people might say, well, what is Waters Church or what is our church? We're, yep. we're, we're for the whole bird, okay? Yep. <laughs> we're for the whole, the right wing and the left wing. We, purple. we want, yeah, we want Democrats and Republicans, left-leaning, right-winging people to come to faith in Christ Jesus. And then we want to challenge the political party that we, that we are drawn to. We should be challenging those things. Right. Not just adopting their... Uh, their their platform uh, and, and and kind of like saddling up you know to the political power of the right or the left we should be challenging like the Democratic Party the Christians in the Democratic Party speak up for pro life values yeah that's good the Democratic Party fights for for human rights I get it they're all about equality wonderful thank God for you but what about equality of life for the unborn what about equality of life for those who are marginalized in Christian country uh, in non Christian countries mm-hmm. fight for that. Republicans love to think, you know, well, we're the pro-life party, so we're the Christian party. But what about the poor? What about the disenfranchised? What about the the the, the people who don't have the advantages that maybe you had? Uh, fight for them as well. So anyway, the point being that there's a right and there's a left, and the church is not called to be on either side. The church is called to be maybe on a side, but challenging your own side right. in the moral failures or the biblical failures of your preferred political party platform. Anyway, back to John. He's on this island. He's in Patmos. He's exiled because uh, Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. And that was a political statement Mm. that challenged the authorities of his day. So anyway, he says, look, I suffered. I'm your partner in the tribulation of the kingdom. And then he says in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, right. Okay, those, those words. In the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I just love those words because uh, it reminds, it, it teaches us a, another powerful thing here. That you can be in the Spirit wherever you are. Mm. So yeah. here's, here's John exiled. Here's John hated by his generation. Here's John, a complete outsider, a political problem, uh, uh, sentenced and banished. And yet he says, I was in the Spirit. The Lord was with me. Amen. Yeah. He never leaves yeah. you. He never, never forsakes you. You can be in the spirit wherever you are. And so I, I think about how many Christians, think about this, and how many people, not Christians, let me change that, how many church people go to church and they're not in the spirit? <laughs> they, you, you have so many advantages to be in the spirit in modern America. You have to take advantage of this. Because listen, he was in the spirit and then he heard God speak. This is teaching us how to hear from God. We hear from God when we are in the Spirit. Right. And so a lot of people go to church 
They don't hear. They don't hear from God. They don't see God. They don't think, oh, well, I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me because you're not in the spirit. And it's very possible, it's very possible to be in the church physically and be dis- disconnected spiritually. Sure. A lot of people are there. You don't want to stay there. You want to be in the spirit so that God can speak to you and you can start to see what God is doing. You start to look at your world. You just think, oh, this is what's happening in my world. Mm-hmm. This is what God is doing in my life. I might not have exp- I might not have understood it before, but thank God through his word he has given me light. And now I see. So, of course, the question is, how do we get in the spirit? Yeah, right? there you go. But <laughs> what, do is, that? what does John say? He says, on the Lord's day. So he's exiled to the island of Patmos. He's all alone and he decides, I'm going to have church. I'm going to have church. I'm going to worship Jesus. And I really believe that this is what happened. Yeah. I believe that on that island, all by himself, John just started to worship Jesus. And, uh, you know, John um, actually was the one who recorded that great encounter with the woman at the well where Jesus meets her and he says, listen, it's not about where you are. It's not about being on Mount Gerizim. It's not about being in Jerusalem. It's about the spirit, that God is spirit and those who worship him should must worship him what? In spirit. spirit in spirit and in truth. <clears throat> yep. John is the one that wrote that down. I'm going to write right. that down. And now he's doing Little it. did he know, yeah. <laughs> one day he would need to remember, oh, good, it's not about being in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim or anywhere. I can be in the spirit wherever I start to worship God. Yeah. And Christians, yeah. I was, uh, and church people, because there's a lot of church people who aren't Christians, start to open your mouth, sing, worship God with us, enter, start to lift him up, even where you are. You know, I mean, you might be in a job that you can't stand. You might be surrounded by Christians, uh, non-Christians who kind of antagonize you or beat you down because of your faith. Right where you are, you can, under your breath even, under your breath even, you can just start to worship Jesus and yeah. things will start to change in your life. One of the things I do on a regular basis, when I drive to work, I do not turn on the radio. I do not turn on music. I do not turn on something. I just talk to God. I just Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for whatever's happening. Lord, I'm believing you for good things today. And I'm telling you, you can change the atmosphere uh, of, your, of, your, of your workplace. You can change the atmosphere of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Start to worship him. <clears throat> Set apart a day, though. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day. Sets aside a day to hear from God. And then uh, he prays. I'm sure he prayed. And the Bible talks about that. Pray at all times in the spirit. Right. So worship him in spirit. Pray in the spirit. And then I thought about this. Uh, this is John didn't have this opportunity, but you do. You do, modern American. You have the opportunity to go to church and be around God's people. And in that environment, the Holy Spirit starts to move and starts to speak to you. Oh, definitely. And yeah. uh, so those are the three things I would say. Worship him. Pray. Get in church. Let God speak to you. In the spirit, because that's such a powerful phrase in verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and then I heard. Yeah. I heard after I was in the spirit, after I set apart time to worship God. There you go. You get the order? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's powerful. And then he goes, to, and he goes on, he says, write what you see in a book. So he heard behind him a loud voice saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, that's not the one in Pennsylvania. That's the one over in Turkey. Uh, and Laodicea. Uh, so um, when John hears this in verse 10 and 11, look what happens in verse 12. Another powerful principle for hearing and experiencing God. It says in verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and he's going to see Jesus too. Here's a cool... Um, just another uh, a, a cool uh, admonition for God's people today. When you start to hear God, tune in. It's just pay attention. Yeah. Pay attention. Now, don't, don't rush through that moment. So many times God wants to speak to us. The question is not, is God speaking? The question is, are we listening? That's good. Are we, are we taking time to turn? John turns to see, and on turning, he sees. Mm. When he, see, he sees only after he says, wait, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to turn. I'm going to pay attention. There's this great moment in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Moses is calling. But Moses' calling starts with him seeing something strange. He right. sees a bush that's on fire, but it doesn't get burned up. Verse 4 of Exodus 3 says, When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, oh, wow. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. God spoke, and God started this movement with Moses' life after Moses said, wait a second, let me turn. All right, okay. Sometimes God wants you just to turn. Sometimes yeah. God wants you to just say, wait, pause, time out, wait a second, what is God saying? 
And this is why it is so important that you set apart time in your week, weekly going to church, in your daily life, going, uh, spending time with God in his word to hear what God is saying. So anyway, he turns and he sees. And this is going to be one of the big themes of this book study in Revelation. It's, it's the imagery of Revelation. Um, you can't study the book of Revelation without understanding that it is loaded with imagery. So uh, You mean he didn't really see seven golden lamps? Yeah, he saw them, but they were pointing to something else. I see. So this is what I'm trying to say, is there's imagery in Revelation that helps teach us. You think about the word imagery. There's another English word we get the same word from the root of imagery of, uh, from, is called imagination. And imagination is a way of thinking. And what God wants to do through imagery is shape our imagination. Through what we see, he wants to shape how we think. Through what we see, he wants to shape how we perceive our reality. So this is why Revelation is such a stumbling block for so many people, because it's loaded. You know, you got the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You got the seven trumpet judgments. You got the seven bold judgments. You got all this imagery, 144,000, and all these things that people freak out about. Right. Remember, it's imagery. Remember, it's trying to help shape how we think about our world. All right. So anyway. Going on. Let's take a look. Some of the things are like Revelation reapplies regularly many of the biblical symbols and stories and images from the past. Mm. For instance, like in the in the in the uh, trumpet judgments, um, the Egyptian plagues are kind of revisited. Uh, the plague of darkness, the plague of hail, the plague of the sea turned to blood. These these should be drawing us back to the Book of Exodus. Right. So it's not it's not necessarily talking about only the end times. It's talking about wait, what is God doing in the world? He's still doing an exodus. In exodus, God took his people out of slavery to Egypt. Well, God is still in the end times, which is right now, mm -hmm. taking his people out of slavery to sin and bringing them out through uh, the judgments upon the world. Yeah. Uh, and think about this. How many people can say this about their faith? I came to faith through a tragedy. I came to faith oh, through... Yeah. Something that really frightened me or scared me. Yeah. Chris, that's your testimony, actually. That's my testimony. I meet people in my office. I had a guy in my office two weeks ago who just lost his wife. And nine days before, he was drawn into this church. And his daughter and his son both got saved along with him weeks later. Amazing. Because he lost his Be wife. Because of the tragedy. And this is what God is doing. The, the tragedy <laughs> upon, brought upon the Egyptians by God brings out God's people in that Old Testament story. Well, that story is an, an image. It's an image for us to see our story in God's work. What God is doing is leveraging all the bad, all the plagues, all the evil around us, which he does not send, he allows. Yeah. And he allows to happen so that he wakes us up, gets our attention, brings many sons and daughters into his family. And let's face it, some people are just so hard, they will never come to God through tragedy, such as Stephen Hawking. Right, right. And some people will. And so it is those people God is saving. So again, when you read Revelation, it's so important to see this is what God is saying. He's speaking bigger than just keep an eye out for the pale horse, you know. Sure, sure. <laughs> He's saying so much more than that. Um, then uh, there's imagery that draws on um, Sodom, and, um, Sodom and Gomorrah because it says in uh, Revelation eleven eight, it says the great city... Uh, that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. Well, where was the Lord crucified? What city was he crucified in? Jerusalem. Right. And here he's saying, now that great city is symbolically called Sodom in Egypt. And he's saying, so Jerusalem is going to get to the point, the city that okay. belonged to God's people mm. is going to get so corrupt, it's going to be like Sodom, it's going to be like Egypt. I mean, that's it, it's, it's a sign for, yes, the world is going to look like it's getting worse and worse. It's going to look like Sodom and Gomorrah and Hello. Hello. All right. So it's going to look worse and it's going to look nastier and it's going to look meaner and it's going to look like that even in the place where God said, I'll set my name. But that doesn't mean that God isn't doing something. Right. That yeah. doesn't mean we, we throw up our hands. And go, oh, my gosh, it's hopeless. No. The book of Revelation is asking us, begging us, saying, look, look at what you see. God is still working just like he worked through Pharaoh's hard heartedness mm. to bring about his deliverance of his people, so, so too God is working through the nations, the political powers, the, 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 the authorities of the day to bring about, to bring his people to himself. 
And then Joel 2 is revisited, revisited in Revelation 9. There's this locust army, uh, and the locust army was the uh, judgment of God upon Jerusalem and upon um, all the nations, actually. And, and there will be a judgment upon all nations, and that re- is revisited up in Revelation 9. We'll get there. And then there's the famous number of Revelation. Right. 144,000. Sure. And uh, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, uh, you believe that you are one of the 144,000. Um, but I believe, again, it is imagery. It is imagery. It is, it is new Israel. Right. And um, I was going to go there, but we'll go there uh, another time about how I unpack that number. It's actually quite interesting. And uh, we'll talk about why 144,000 is new Israel. We've got plenty of time to get there because it's in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. But anyway, there's one last uh, image. New Jerusalem comes down from heaven. Right. And, the, and, and uh, John goes and he measures the, the length, the width, and the height of the city. And all three measurements are exactly the same, which makes a cube. cube. Well, guess what else was a cube in the Bible? The Holy of Holies. What's right. the Holy of Holies? The Holy of Holies was the inner room mm-hmm. in the temple inside the inner court, which was inside the outer court of the ancient temple of Israel. Mm-hmm. Here's what John is being shown. He's being shown that um, the New Jerusalem is the place where God and his people now dwell in peace. That's great. Right? That's what, yeah. that's what the New Jerusalem is. Is it going to be a literal cubicle city? No. <laughs> right. Well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe God's in <laughs> the cubes. I don't know. He might be. But the point is, is is trying to draw us into the imagery of the scriptures from before okay. so that we learn how to see our world today. That's good. Again, this is not, I know, this is not, let's, let's see if we can identify the Antichrist. You know, let's, let's see if we can identify the exact date of Christ's return. Look, that's been done. That's been done hundreds of times in almost every century since Jesus ascended. There has been Christians saying he's definitely coming back June 14th, 2000, whatever. Let's buy a billboard and tell everybody about it. I mean, you guys, you're not old enough to remember this, but I think, well, you weren't in the church back then, but in 1988, there was a big pamphlet that went around. That's the year I was born, man. That was the year you were born? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, the year you were born, good news this didn't happen then. (laughs) Yeah, really. The year that you were born, 1988, somebody wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. Yeah. He was wrong. Yeah. Guess what the guy does the next year? 89 reasons why Jesus will return in 1989. And people bought the book. What is wrong with people? (laughs) And then there was that guy in the radio. I forget. Familyradio.org, I think, was the website. But he was this guy. And he would call. He he had a date like every 12 years. And he sold millions of books. And then he dies. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's just, look. I'm not going to teach you Revelation so that you can identify the date of the Lord's return. We, Jesus himself said, no, no one knows the date. No yeah. one knows the hour. Yeah. Yep. You know what some people have actually interpreted that verse to say? Well, it doesn't say nobody knows the year. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh my so, goodness. Let's, let's identify the year. Read the scriptures rightly, friends. Let's not be, let's not be charlatans. Okay. Um, let, <laughs> yeah. a, lots of money can be made by predicting the Lord's return. Sure. Okay, we're not going to do that. No, thank you. So, we're, but we are going to take a look at Revelation to help us understand what's going on in our world and who Jesus is. And so, with that being said, John sees Jesus. Here's what it says in verse 13. In the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire, like a flame of fire. His Feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Okay, lots of imagery again. Yeah. All right, this is, what, this is how John sees Jesus to help us understand who Jesus is. And most of this imagery is referring to his high priest status over the people of God. But not just over the people of God, but over creation. Yeah. Just as ancient Israel had a high priest who basically mediated God's presence with the people, so too Jesus now stands in heaven as our mediator between God's presence and us. Amen. So he's got a long robe. That's a priestly garment. Golden sash, priestly garment. 
He's got um, hairs on his head were white. That, that refers in the scriptures, that refers to wisdom and righteousness. Proverbs 16, 31 says, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. So he's perfectly righteous. His eyes are like a flame of fire. This refers to his penetrating vision, his penetrating insight into our lives. Feet burnished like bronze refers to the his his judgment, his righteous judgment. When a, when a, when a king stood, uh, his feet would be uh, decorated with bronze emblems in the ancient world to say, I'm the one who has the the call uh, concerning justice in my nation. And mm. so Jesus has the call concerning justice in the world. And every person will be brought to perfect justice one day uh, at the judgment seat of Christ or at the great white throne judgment. We'll talk about that later. But anyway, his voice is like the roar of many waters. That means that you cannot not hear him. He is going to speak, and he's going to speak with authority. Yeah. Uh, in his right hand, seven stars will get there. Mouth sharp towards your sword. That means that his word, his word penetrates deep. It's like yeah. a sharp two-edged sword. It cuts and it exposes us. Uh, this is why people, when I preach, and Chris, you probably had this happen too. You preach the word of God. You get down. Somebody says, "Were you Talking reading right my email?" You know, yeah. <laughs> were you in my house? Uh, you need somebody actually came. They were joking around, but it was funny. You need to remove the microphone that you have placed in my bathroom. Right. You know, yeah, that's like, weird. What's going on in your bathroom, buddy? Yeah. You know, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to know. Never mind. I asked. Um, but anyway, people will say that to me. They will say, "Man, you 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 spoke right to me." No, I didn't speak right to you. God spoke Amen. right to you and yeah. his word yeah. penetrates into the inner recesses of our lives and is for our good right it's for our good we are exposed so that we can come clean and we can receive the forgiveness of our sins uh verse 17 says this when i saw him look at the response when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead and this is the response that we need to start practicing again yeah. before christ uh we get a bit too frenzy with jesus in our modern culture He's not our homeboy, you know. He's not our bestie, right? Right. And right some of our right. modern worship songs sing about Jesus like he's Taylor Swift's lover. He's not. Okay. <laughs> he is. He is or ex lover. She's always singing about her ex. Always the exes. Right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're never, never, never getting married. Yeah. He is not our. <laughs> he is not our personal lover. Okay. He is Lord. He is King. He is sovereign. Yeah. yeah. Amen. And yet he is friend because look, as soon as John falls at his feet as though dead. It says this, but he laid his right hand on me. Yeah, yeah. And he said what? Fear not. I love that. I love the contrast, the immediate contrast verse 17 provides. It's, he's glorious, he's holy, he's awesome, but yet he also says fear not. Right. The response of God to the humble, to the contrite, to the people who say, God, you are God and you are holy and I am not. The, the, the response of God to that attitude of worship is fear not. I'm going to put my hand on you. I have you in my hand. I love you. Fear not. And then he says, I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. And just look at those words again. I have the keys of hell and death. So I have a question for you. Who is in charge of hell? This is a very important question. Well, Who is in charge of hell? Well, we have an image, right? Yeah. We have this image that... Uh, the devil is in charge of hell. And so right. you've seen the images, right? You've seen uh, this image where there's, maybe you've seen something like this. There's Satan. <laughs> he's that? just laughing it up down there. and He's just having a good time. Yeah. And, you know, over to the left outside of the picture frame there is the bar where all the friends are drinking a beer together because <laughs> I'm going to hell because all my friends are down there with me. I'm going to go over and drink. Okay. Got news for you. That's not hell. <laughs> no beer in hell. Tastes great. And what I think is what we have is we have this image of hell that is more um, inspired by Tom and Jerry than, right. we, <laughs> than we do from the scriptures. Yep. Uh, you know, so we have like these images from our cartoons, from pop culture. These these are not proper images. They're not even biblical images. Right. And a lot of these images from pop culture and cartoons are actually derived from the Renaissance or the medieval ages, uh, the dark ages, some people would say, mm -hmm. um, because that's kind of what the church said. Hell is a place of fire, and you're just going to burn forever. And there's Satan with his pitchfork, and he's just going to poke you forever. And as you burn forever. No. Look, who is in charge of hell? Jesus just said who's in charge of hell. Yeah. I have the keys mm. of hell and death. Who's in charge of hell? Answer is Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a here's a really important point. No, Satan casts no one and drags no one into hell. Right. He yeah. does not have the power to send you to hell. 
Amen. He does not have the power to drag you to hell. There was a movie that came out a couple of years ago, Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> Dude, yeah. it just reminded me of uh, right? remember that play, uh, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames, like yeah, the I remember that privatization thing. Did did Satan drag people to hell? <laughs> oh yeah. He Are did. you sure this happened? Demons drag them to hell. Oh really? Oh dude. Yeah. Okay. Got Scarring. news for you. That's not happening. Yeah. And <laughs> and this is another thing that people another misconception about hell. Um, Satan is not currently in hell. Right. He's roaming wow. the earth. He's roaming the earth. Yeah. Job Job chapter one says that. How, how about this? When Jesus is tempted, who shows up? Satan. Yeah. Satan is right there. When Peter says this shall never happen to you, Jesus turns and says. Get behind me, Satan. Satan was there inspiring Peter to say, no, you're not going to the cross. Satan does not sit on his throne in hell. There is no throne in hell. And the only one that would be on a throne in hell is Jesus because he has the keys of hell and death, death and Hades, if you will. Just a very important point because so many people think it's like God versus Satan. It is not God versus Satan. Satan deceives the nations and God is saving people out of the nations. That's what's happening. Yeah. That's what's happening. So it, God is not equal with Satan. <laughs> uh, it's not, I'm on team Satan or I'm on team Jesus. No, you're either lost or you're found. Right. You're either in the family or you're out. You're either in the house of God or you're in the out of darkness. One that I always see that always gets me is like in movies and TV when people make a contract with the devil, they sign their soul over to the devil. That's it's showing nonsense. that the devil has his equal power as God. No, of course not. Right. He, you can't make a deal with the devil. Only God controls your yes, soul. Yes, all these Christ. things, they come out of where? Where do they come out of? This mythology of Christianity. Well, There's a whole yeah. mythological Christian <laughs> well, it, stream. It's, it's good work. You know, it, it's, good works, you bad always works. say there's two religions, right? Yeah. It's good works or it's Christ. Right. It's interesting you bring that up because, like, even, um, I mean, when you fall into those conspiracy theories on YouTube. I've never done such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like those those vocalists and, yeah, and big pop stars that sold sure. their soul for a great voice. Like, yep. I read one about, like, Beyonce sold their soul to the And devil. then could sing, well. Yeah, and then she could sing, I mean. Sasha Fierce. Sasha Fierce, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not saying that Satan doesn't inspire non-believers. And right. I'm not saying that Satan also uh, doesn't take possession of believers. Can, it actually, uh, I'm, can I'm Satan not believers, give non-believers. Beyonce a fantastic singing voice? You know, that's... That right. could be argued because Satan was the lead worship singer leader of heaven. Yeah. You know, worship he was You gotta watch out for the worship leaders. Yeah, yeah worship leaders. <laughs> but anyway, no, but he can't. But to your point, yeah. maybe he could, but he couldn't. I think that your he soul. can inspire talent. I think he can inspire <laughs> lyrics. I think this is why the music industry is so very talented. But I mean, actual vocal ability. Things. Like, I mean, vocal ability. Even like the devil went down to Georgia. Like the whole thing about. Well, playing. think about this. Uh, you know, we are. Um, I believe theologically speaking in the scriptures is very clear. You got to read into it a little bit, but it's there. We are the replacements for Satan in hell. I mean, in heaven, we are the replacements for Lucifer. The fallen angels. Yeah. Okay. He was the worship leader in yeah. heaven. Right. And, when we and he oh. wanted God's place. God cast him down to earth. Mm-hmm. And now out of earth, out of Satan's domain, wow. God is saving people to be his worshipers. I've never Those heard who that before. Worship him, but worship that him makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And so when we worship God, we are actually subverting the authority of Satan in the most profound way. Keep worshiping. Worship strong. Yeah. That's why people like you are important, Josh. Thank you for leading us in oh, song. That's, what I, song That's is... what I meant by it. <laughs> yeah. I was all positive. <laughs> That's what I meant. Good <laughs> twist. Good spin. Good spin. I manipulated your way out of that one. Bro. Try. Jesus is in charge of hell. He yeah. has the keys of death and Hades. Okay, so listen. We have to have respect, honor, we have to have reverence for Jesus because he's in charge. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is uh, the, the final point around this that I want to make with, with regards to John's vision of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And this is so important because in his first coming, now watch the, watch the um, parallels here. In his first coming, you have an angelic visit to Mary. Right. You are going to be in, uh, con- uh, with child. The Holy Spirit is going to co- come upon you and you shall conceive and bear a child. And you shall call his name Jesus. Virgin birth, Holy Spirit conception, and then good news. He is good news for the poor. He is good news for the poor in spirit. He's good news for the world, right? Not just the poor financially, but the poor in spirit and mm. the world, because we are all poor in spirit before God who is holy. But anyway, that's his first coming. But his first coming is hope. His first coming is peace. His first coming is God coming to bring good news. Second coming, completely different. Angelic judgment. We're going to get to that in Revelation chapter 6. Every eye will see him. So it's not going to be quiet. It's not going to be sight. It's, uh, it's not going to be unseen. Every right. eye will see him in the second. Uh, he's preparing a virgin bride. Yeah, wow. Not a virgin birth, but a virgin bride. Mm-hmm. And now instead of good news, when Jesus comes the second time, it's going to be woe. Wow. It's going to be woe as in W-O-E, mm. not W-O-A-H. Whoa. <laughs> well, woe for the <laughs> believers. 
Right. W O A H for the believers, W O E for those who reject him. The point that I'm trying to make to you right now is this is your opportunity to receive the good news. This is your opportunity to repent and turn to Christ because he came mild, humble, meek the first time. Second time, mm. he's opening a can. <laughs> it's yeah. not going to be pretty. A can of what, Pastor? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to be pretty. Tomato but there's sauce. parallels. <laughs> <laughs> There's parallels there that we need to see. And again, Revelation is not just about the final seven years. Revelation is about the wrap-up of history, which is occurring as we speak. Yeah. It's been occurring since he rose to the uh, right-hand side of the Father, and it's been happening ever since for 2,000 years, and it's going to be culminated at his final return. And at that, when Revelation chapter 1, remember John says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him even those who pierced him, every eye, and all tribes of the earth will wail mm. on account of it. It's not going to be good news for a lot of people when Jesus comes back. Wow. And the point is, repent of your sins. Repent. Turn now. Come to Christ. That's ultimately what Revelation is trying to teach the church. Then he says, right there for verse 19, the things that you have seen, the th- those, that are, those that are to take place after this. Okay, there's the outline of Revelation. The outline is past, present, future. Yeah. Right there for what you have seen, past, the things that are present, and the things that are to take place after, future. So the revelation is the scope of God's work through human history mm. post the resurrection. That's what revelation is. Uh, verse 20, uh, this is the last verse we're going to talk about, but I have a lot to say about it, so don't go anywhere. Uh, he says, as for the mystery, verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Again, seven, 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 seven. All mm. heaven invading earth. Um, okay, let's talk about the fact that he says first the seven uh, stars are the seven uh, uh, angels. Uh, or sorry, the seven uh, the seven stars. What did he say? The seven lampstands are the seven churches. <laughs> let me get. Let me start there. Let me get my bearings. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay. We are the church, mm-hmm. and in Christ, we are the light of the world. Jesus said about himself in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. But then he said about us in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 5, he said, you are the light of the world. Right. And so look at the imagery again. Seven stars, seven a- lampstands, seven churches, seven angels. Okay. So who are the seven stars? Seven stars are the seven angels of the churches. Now, what are the angels? Well, I believe that every church... Has an angel. Yeah, I really do believe this. Yeah, uh, this is um, this like is confirmed. one walking around in the building. Well, I don't know if you're walking around the building. <laughs> he might <laughs> I mean, be an imposing figure. He might be bigger than the building. I don't know. Yeah, but the point is, uh, and the word angel here too is just the word for messenger. So mm-hmm. there are some theologians that believe this could be referring to an- spiritual angels, or it could be referred to the pastors. Okay. The messengers of the church. So oh, our pastor's a star. <laughs> our pastor's a star. Oh, where's the hell? Oh, there it is. <laughs> and that concludes this episode of the um, So, no, you know, that, that's an that's a interpretation theory. Okay. I don't accept that one. I think these are angels. <laughs> But the angels uh, are represented by stars. And yeah. you think about this. You look up into the cosmos, and the cosmos is teaching us about how God works. The cosmos, like now think about it. It in the center of our solar system is the sun. Mm-hmm. In the center of our experience is the sun, S-U-N. Mm-hmm. Uh, around him and working with him are the stars. Mm-hmm. Just as the sun has the lesser lights all around it, the stars, you know? Right, yeah. Okay. And so, and I know that the closest star to us is farther than the sun is. I get it, but just for the sake of argument, from the perspective of Earth, they looks like they're right next to each other or mm-hmm. they're scattered from the sun. This is teaching us how to see. It's teaching us. The, you, the, um, the psalmist says uh, the creation declares the glory of God. Right. Re- uh, Romans chapter 1 says uh, the invisible qualities of God are visible through what is made. Mm. Uh, his attributes are clearly seen through what is made. So incredible imagery here in Revelation to teach us that he is the true light. And then there are lights that he has scattered over his churches the angels, and I love this, yeah. there is an angel over your church yeah. if your church is truly with Christ. I mean, right. obviously, there's a lot of false churches out there. But those who love the Lord, those who preach the gospel, those who know he is the way, the truth, and the life, 
God, I believe, assigns an angel nice. to your church. So there is an angel watching out for Waters Church. There's an angel watching out for your church, listener. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I think that's wonderful. I think that's, our, uh, that's hopeful. It's, it brings us confidence. Mm. But then I thought about this. He says that the seven churches are the seven lampstands. Where was Jesus in the image? Where was Jesus in the picture that John sees? He was standing among the lampstands. Yeah. Jesus stands among his church on the earth. All right, this is the image that we got to see. Mm. And those lampstands are also providing what? Light. Light. What are we? We are the light of the world. Yeah. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Now you're the light of the world. And you reflect my light to the world. This is powerful. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, check this out. Paul picks up on this language in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The NIV has universe there. Holding fast to the word of life. And so I have this question for you. What is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is the king, sovereign king of the universe. But what is the church? This is so cool. The church is the earthly agency through which Jesus administers his course for the world. Because think about the stars. The stars, okay, are navigational tools. Yeah. yeah. If you're out in the sea in the ancient world and you didn't have GPS, right? <laughs> you followed the stars. In fact, the stars led the wise men to Jesus. They right. were navigational tools. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the stars are the angels of the churches leading and protecting the churches so that the church can be the navigational tools for all men to see this is the way. Walk in it. Ooh, that's good. And so you say, man. That sounds arrogant. The church is like the stars. The church is like the light. No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Check your history. <laughs> because in, in human history, I'm telling you this confidently, Christians have tremendously impacted human history yeah. for good. Yes, there's a lot of bad Christians out there. I'm not talking about them. I know. There's tons of them. Yeah. All right? Uh, they're not real Christians. <laughs> Anybody can call themselves. I think Hitler called himself a Christian for heaven's yeah. sakes. He was not a Christian. By their works, you shall know them. But anyway, Johann Gutenberg. The reason why we can transmit data today, like we can, because of Johann Gutenberg. He invents the printing press. He right. was a devout Christian. He invented the printing press for the sake of translating the Bible, transmitting the Bible far and wide. Yeah. Uh, Harriet Tubman, leader of the Underground Railroad, devout oh, yeah. Christian. She made 19 trips to the South, delivered 300 fellow uh, slaves from slavery, and she said, I never lost a passenger. Uh, she was nicknamed uh, Moses. Uh, by her people and uh, by her by those who followed her, and she was a devout Christian. Uh, William Wilberforce, a politician in London turned emancipator, mm -hmm. ended the slave trade in Britain in the 1700s. Martin Luther King Jr., yeah. what was he by profession? A pastor, civil rights activist, Christian. Martin Luther King once said this, we must keep God in the forefront. Let us be Christian in all our actions, right? He said this, the Christian gospel is a two-way road. On the one hand, it seeks to change the souls of men and thereby unite them with God. And on the other hand, it seeks to change the environmental conditions of men so that the soul will have a chance after it has been changed. Amen. That's powerful. Yeah. And then Blaise Pascal. You know, nobody thinks about Blaise Pascal. Everything right now that we are experiencing is because in large part of Blaise Pascal. He's a scientist. Okay. Uh, a lot of people credit him. <laughs> And his ideas and his concepts to the creation of the computer, mm. uh, to the creation of uh, uh, calculating machines, uh, public transportation goes back to Pascal. Wow. Uh, he proved the existence of the of the vacuum, which set the stage for quantum physics. Oh, wow. His statistical probabilities analysis envisioned everything from the insurance industry to lotteries and Las Vegas. Pascal's thoughts stand behind the jet engine, internal combustion, atomic bomb, and mass media. All right, now, the atomic bomb, Tom, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, you, know. <laughs> you know, he didn't intend for the atomic bomb to be the result of his ideas. But the thing about uh, Blaise Pascal, after he passed away, he died at 39 years old. Wow. After he died, his, one of his aides found a crumpled piece of paper pinned to the inside of his coat where it said this. He had written in his journal, uh, Monday, November 23rd, uh, 1654, says these words, from about a half past 10 until mid, uh, at night until about half past midnight. Fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not the God of the philosophers and of the learned. Mm. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. I mean, these are his writings. That's beautiful, yeah. And a powerful experience with Jesus Christ. 
uh, one night he had to write down what he experienced. The fire of God he touched pinned it his to mind. his heart. Pinned it to the inside of his coat. Yeah, wow. you know, wow. symbolically maybe. Yeah. Uh, these are just a few of the world shapers, the lights that God has scattered into this dark world to shape and change and navigate the course of human history. Now, this is not to say that non-Christians have not contributed anything to uh, science and society's well-being. I am not suggesting that at all. Sure. But I am saying that much of the non-Christian contribution to the progress of human rights and human dignity in this world sits on the shoulders of Christians who started it. Right. Yeah. And I think if you do Good. research in any amount of honesty and integrity, you'll find out that what I'm saying is true. <clears throat> Jesus is using his church as the agency through which the world will be uh, changes direction and hopefully in mass numbers comes to faith in him. Take that Stephen Hawkins. Take that Stephen Hawkins. <laughs> That's great wrap up right yes. there. Yeah. You know, we can't talk about Revelation without mentioning Kirk Cameron's a Christian. Kirk Cameron is a <laughs> <laughs> he is and a all those Christian. awesome I, movies that he did. And I do, yeah. I, you know? Well, I appreciate him. Um, you think uh, you guy. think when we get raptured, our clothes is going to be folded or like? Uh, yeah, I don't think so, <laughs> and I'm not sure about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking my clothes with me. That's all I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting question. We'll talk about that in a future episode. But this has been the deep end, and now you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash the deep end TV. You can follow us on YouTube, youtube.com/slash Waters Church, the deep end channel, and online, the deep end.tv. I'm so glad that you were with us. I hope you were encouraged, inspired in your faith. Go out there and shine. Help Jesus. Partner with Jesus. Not help Jesus. Partner with Jesus to navigate this world into a more righteous, fair, just, equitable society. This is the deep end. <laughs> I was texting. I'm going to be quiet.